we protect, of course, political speech more than any other kind of speech in this country. And, and I would be very disturbed if BART or any other agency were to come up with uh, something that would totally ban uh, the, these kinds of political discussions or protests, as they may be, from uh, from any venue. And, and uh, although Marvin raises a good point about forum, the definition of the forum, but... Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm uncomfortable with free speech zones outside of convention. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, my co-host, Jake Craig Williams, uh, has uh, been diverted by legal business today and is unable to be on the show. Uh, I, of course, write a blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and Craig writes the blog, May It Please the Court. Uh, we would like to uh, first... Uh, before we get to our topic today, thank the show's sponsors, as always, uh, starting with Clio, the web-based practice management solution, which is available at goclio.com, uh, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms. You can find them at suntrust.com slash law. And last but not least, Firm Manager from LexisNexis, the uh, practice management solution uh, available at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Uh, well, uh, last week, the uh, Bay Area Rapid Transit Service in San Francisco uh, interrupted cell phone service on its platforms uh, to prevent, uh, uh, as a move aimed to prevent a possible protest. Uh, there had, in fact, been a, a, a protest a, a month earlier on the BART uh, that resulted in a after a, after a homeless man had had been shot by Bart police, um, on a, on a, involving a confrontation on the platform of the San Francisco Civic Center station. The uh, the, the response to to Bart's action last week, shutting down cell service, has been uh, loud uh, and uh, and uh, pretty much uh, consistently critical, uh, with uh, critics saying that Bart has. Uh, uh, violated the First Amendment rights of citizens, uh, comparing uh, Bart's actions to uh, those of the Mubarak government in Egypt, uh, and uh, even uh, instituting an FCC, uh, giving rise to an FCC investigation. Uh, we're going to talk about these issues, get some perspectives on these issues, uh, and some insights from from two guests who uh, are quite knowledgeable about. Uh, these areas. Uh, joining us today to discuss this topic are two uh, well-informed guests. First of all is attorney Marvin Amori. Marvin is a visiting scholar at the Center for Internet and Society at Stanford Law School in Stanford, California. He is uh, formerly a professor at the University of Nebraska Lincoln College of Law, where he co-directed the Space, Cyber, and Telecom Law Program and helped to co-found one of the world's leading programs in internet and national security law. 
Before that, he was uh, general counsel for Free Press, a uh, media organization in Washington, D.C., uh, and earlier in his career, he worked at the Institute for Public Representation in Washington, D.C., and at Kirkland & Ellis uh, Law Firm in Chicago. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Martin Amori. Thank you, Rob. And uh, joining us next today is uh, Gene Polosinski. Uh, Gene is Senior Vice President and Executive Director of the First Amendment Center, Gene is a veteran journalist and First Amendment scholar who oversees operations and programs of the center, uh, an operating program of the Freedom Forum. Uh, he has offices in Nashville, Tennessee, at Vanderbilt University, and at the Museum in Washington, D.C. He's also co-author of the weekly syndicated newspaper column, Inside the First Amendment, an executive producer and host of the touring multimedia stage production, uh, Freedom Sings. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Gene Polosinski. Thanks very much. Uh, and I should say that we did invite uh, spokespeople for BART to be on the program, uh, and uh, although they said they would uh, consider our request, uh, they have not gotten back to us. Uh, I, I thought, uh, uh, I, I wonder if either of you, I know both of you have, have written and commented on this uh, extensively, but I, I wonder if uh, either of you want to uh, take a stab at kind of setting the stage for our conversation and, and describing what happened last week. Gene, do you want to go for it? Okay, sure, Marvin. Thank you. Uh, well, I, I think what we had was, in some ways, a, a classic confrontation uh, that we've seen before in dozens, if not hundreds of times in our history, where there's a public entity concerned about safety as a result of a protest that is planned, at least in their by their intelligence information, and they're uh, they're driven by that concern, and perhaps also, uh, as some critics say, by the desire to limit the the protest. Um, uh, but safety and the protest are foremost at that moment. Uh, they uh, decide to take some action to limit the impact of that protest. In this case, the new twist is, of course, that they were withdrawing service for cell phones rather than establishing a police line or clearing an area or creating those euphemistic free speech zones that sometimes exist around public gatherings. Uh, and, um, you know, their argument is uh, that it was justified by the necessity of uh, facing imminent threat, imminent danger, that it was of limited duration, and that it was uh, in a confined area, not a general kind of shutdown of service. Uh, on the other side, uh, we have this new phenomenon in which uh, everything from so-called flash mobs to national protests overseas are being organized not through the traditional sort of pamphlet and leaflet situation, but uh, through cell phones and Twitters, uh, Twitter tweets rather, and uh, that uh, this has now become in the minds, I think, of people objecting to Bart's actions, uh, a very basic need and necessity and tool of free speech. Well, so given that summary, Gene, what what is your uh, reaction to this? I mean, was this uh, uh, consistent with the bounds of uh, free speech law in this country? Well, you know, I'm always loath to render a verdict. Uh, particularly, we don't know, you know, what was the immediate uh, threat? What was the nature of that? How valid was that? I think that's the first question. Uh, and Marvin, please jump in here and, and add on to my summary there, if you feel I should. Um, uh, I think there's just a very basic question here of, of, of how demonstrable, how provable was that immediate threat, and uh, and then how reasonable and responsible under you know existing laws. Well, you know the new tech thing is a wrinkle here, but I think we can turn back to to a lot of existing law. 
and say, you know, was it was it uh, uh, legitimate government uh, overriding government interest? Was there a real public safety issue? How immediate was it? How how limited really was it? And was it the least possible interference with free speech rights and uh, trying to balance that with public safety? Right. And I should say that, that Marvin, uh, I know that you've written about this at the uh, Balkanization blog. And uh, I, I, as I understand your position, uh, you've said quite clearly that you think this was a terrible idea on Bart's part, but you don't think necessarily there was a, a First Amendment violation here. Well, uh, what, what I was saying was that the First Amendment is so unclear and so complicated with so many different tests that Bart might actually have an argument. And so I do think that it's actually, you know, as Gene said, you have to look at all the factors, you have to essentially apply several different tests. I, I think if I were applying the First Amendment test, I would conclude that there was a First Amendment issue and that it was unconstitutional. Let me just sort of explain the kinds of legal hurdles you have to go through in making the determination. And Gene mentioned some of them. First, you have to determine, um, perhaps this is a test that applies, first you determine what kind of space, what kind of forum you're dealing with. So the BART authority said this isn't a traditional public forum that's subject to very, very heightened uh, First Amendment um, requirements. It is instead a non-public forum. And so if it's true that it's a non-public forum, not a traditional public forum, like a street or a park, uh, then a different test applies, a lower test applies to a non-public forum, and then you have to apply that test, and that test would, would ask whether or not the government was acting reasonably and whether or not the action was based um, on the viewpoint of the protest, to stifle a viewpoint. And there there are cases on that, and the cases don't necessarily decide the issue. Uh, the other um, the other sort of question is what access the public would have to the network itself. Would the network, the phone network at the BART station, be uh, a forum, a non-public forum, or is it simply government property? Right. So BART owns those those towers apparently. And it's not clear if there's a First Amendment right to use government property to speak unless, you know, under particular tests, government has designated that property for speech. And so the first sort of hurdle is, what? how do you classify this government property? What testifies this government property? And does a different, um, and, and does the actual, the, the, the tower network uh, function as a forum in and of itself? Or is it as though the BART station is a forum and the, the cell tower network is like leaflets that are being banned. And so you have to sort of determine how to apply the, the old test. And once you get to that point, there might even be a different test that applies based on clear and present danger, uh, which is sort of another line of cases. So, but I, I think that we should think of this as a First Amendment violation because nowadays uh, the way people communicate and associate and petition their government for redress uh, and implement, you know, all of our First Amendment guarantees is through new technologies, through cell phones, text messaging, uh, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, and if we simply uh, keep First Amendment protections for all technologies and not extend them to the future, you know, essentially we'd be making the First Amendment obsolete. I'm sorry, Marvin, I think you make an excellent point there. Um, uh, and at the very end, uh, that in many ways, I don't see this as much a free speech case as a right of association case. I think uh, new technology is now making it possible to have these cyber communities which gather in cyber forums. And uh, and I wonder whether, you know, a stronger argument almost, or at least a, a co-equal argument would be 
to argue that uh, the BART overrode this effectively new uh, way of expressing our First Amendment freedom of, of association. Uh, it's interesting that uh, the uh, well, Bart Bart put out a statement that, that in part addressed uh, this this question of of what how they viewed uh, the space in in all of this and and uh, uh, let me just I just want to read a little bit from that statement. Uh, part of it says, and this is again just an excerpt from the full statement Bart put out, but it said that Bart's primary purpose is to provide safe, secure, efficient, reliable, and clean transportation services. BART accommodates expressive activities that are constitutionally protected by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution and the Liberty of Speech Clause of the California Constitution and has made available certain areas of its property for expressive activity. Paid areas of BART stations are reserved for ticketed activities, uh, for rather for ticketed passengers who are boarding, exiting, or waiting for BART cars and trains or for authorized BART personnel. No person shall conduct or participate in assemblies or demonstrations or engage in other expressive activities in the paid areas of BART stations. Uh, Marvin, what do you say to that? Is that a legitimate uh, line for BART to draw uh, regarding uh, activities on its premises? So I I think that BART um, might be overstating the case. Well, 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 let me let me say it this way. There are two different ways of thinking of it. One way of thinking of it is if you think of the free speech zones that Gene mentioned, often when there's a big political event like the Democratic Convention or the Republican Convention, they'll be set up these areas almost in a cage kind of far away from the delegates that are free speech zones where people are allowed to protest, whereas they can't protest in other areas. And the government will argue that that's a content-neutral, time, place, and manner um, regulation, permitting people to speak however they want, but only in certain places. And the practice of having free speech zones might be going too far. I, I believe that you know people should be allowed to, to confront the, the, the audience that they want to confront with messages that they believe, and free speech zones might actually take that right away. And so what, what Bart is what Bart is saying is, essentially, they've set up zones that are for free speech and then other zones that are not for free speech. That's, that's sort of the, the strongest way to make their argument. I actually wrote a, a blog post in response to, to something similar to that, that, that Bart said, um, which is just to emphasize that the government property on the Bart platform isn't, um, isn't free of First Amendment rights just because the government owns it. Even if that area is a non-public forum, we still have First Amendment rights there. It's just that the government has to meet a lower test and can and can regulate it more more severely. It can't simply ignore our free speech rights in that area. It, the, the, if they regulate speech in that area, the non-public forum, it has to be viewpoint neutral and reasonable. And there's a very good argument for saying it's unreasonable to ban all quote expressive activities and assemblies, which I think is what Bart said in, in that statement. That seems a little far. There's actually a Supreme Court case um, perhaps 20 years ago now involving the LAX airport, uh, which banned all, quote, First Amendment activities. And the court just said, you know, even under the lowest test of non-public forums, that's clearly unreasonable and goes too far. And so the question is um, how, how much credence or how much value the court would give or a court would give to the fact that there are other zones for free speech beyond those platforms. But it's, it's, not, it's not only a judicial question, it's also a political question for our society to debate and discuss 
Uh, and I think this response that we've seen, this critical response, has really gotten BART and other agencies to rethink what's going on. You know, it's, it's sort of the first time it happens, so it's hard to jump down the throat of BART, but it seems like they might be trying to learn from this based on the public reaction and the comments we're having. You know, I, it's interesting. I actually had a call this morning from a BART commissioner, um, and you could you could hear the anguish uh, from this uh, gentleman who said that his his inclination is toward transparency and openness, but that the concern over the safety of passengers in his mind was was raising uh, at least the possibility that they had acted properly in his mind. He hadn't made up, uh, frankly, he hadn't made up his mind about Bart's decision, which I gather was taken more by the executive side than than the commissioners. Um, but but you know, it, 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 Bart is is trying to, in some ways, I think, turn this into a time, place, and manner kind of thing, and. Uh, you know, you you can go back to um, uh, what was it Ward uh, versus Rock against racism sixty eighty nine I believe, but even there, there's a three part test. You know, content neutral, tailored very narrowly for a significant government interest, and then there's this alternate channels idea, and um, which I think is part of the the three prong test there. And I and I don't think, um, at least in this initial pass, and I, and and as Marvin correctly points out, it's the first time through this. Um, where, where you know, what was the alternative here uh, for people who wished uh, to do nothing more than protest Bart's actions in this uh, shooting that took place about a month ago um, and shutting down that cell phone service, uh, both sh- shut off those alternative means of communication and um, as well as my ability to call home in an emergency, whatever it is. So there was more than an incidental impact, I think, on my speech unrelated to the subject matter of the of the protest. Well, d- does that speak in its favor or against it? I mean, d- does that does the fact that they universally shut down cell phone service make it more or less content neutral, or, or does it not right. even play into that equation? And, and therein is the, uh, you know, I think, again, the complicated issues that Marvin spoke of. You know, ironically, by closing down everybody, were they on safer ground? You know, but I, I think you get into there, again, This let's back up for a moment away from the specifics and just into the whole issue of prior restraint. You know, one of the things that I think disturbs an awful lot of people here is that this wasn't on the uh, receipt of a direct threat to cause certain kinds of harm. It was on the on the apparently the information that there would be a protest and the supposition that might produce harm down the way. So that it throws in another element here of uncertainty about closing down free speech. Right, and it. I mean, it's interesting that it, from from what I've read, it it, it seems that there. It's not even clear there actually was anything planned uh, that day. I mean, there was some talk of something, but it, it it did not come to fruition, and it's not clear whether it didn't come to fruition because of uh, what Bart did, or that it just wasn't going to happen anyway. Yeah, there, there's the the wrinkle when it comes to this First Amendment doctrine and targeting uh, of uh, of speech of speech restrictive regulation is that if they had targeted it specifically to the cell phones of the protesters then it would have been more likely viewpoint-based or content-based, subject to a far higher test. Because they spread the regulation across everyone at the platform, it's more likely to be content-neutral. But then under the three-part test that Gene mentioned, there's a prong of the test that that, uh, encourages or requires government to have a narrowly tailored means. And so if it was too broad, therefore making content-neutral, it might also be so broad that it wasn't narrowly tailored to the threat. As a result... Right. That, would you be or not? I, I actually would, and and I was. We were trying to take this back to older technology, where where we all feel, at least by experience, more comfortable. And I was thinking of uh, the equivalent of an editorial that somebody might feel would incite violence in a newspaper, and coming in and seizing the printing press, uh, preventing it from printing all kinds of other information. 
uh, along with this, you know, supposed editorial that might incite uh, uh, directly incite violence. And I think we'd have no trouble there saying that's overbroad. Um, that 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 has no place, uh, you know, in in constitutional law for for a permissible interference by government. So it, you know, again, I I, I keep trying to come back to the familiar to decide the new and. Uh, there are imperfect comparisons, but I think uh, again the value here may be to Bart uh, and to I mean to all of us from this that we get to think about this before it became uh, an issue where we're shutting down service to a large area as it, as they're now discussing in Britain. We need to take a short break. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments uh, to talk more about Bart and the First Amendment. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pro- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Lawyer to Lawyer is celebrating its sixth year here on Legal Talk Network. That's a lot of legal talk by our great hosts, attorneys Bob Ambrosi in Massachusetts and Craig Williams in California. Thanks, Craig and Bob, for the best podcast for legal professionals and the longest continually published legal podcast anywhere. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? 
Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is away today. We're joined today uh, talking about uh, BART's shutdown of cell service last week and implications for the First Amendment uh, with Attorney Marvin Amore, visiting scholar at Stanford Law School Center for Internet and Society, and Gene Polosinski, Executive Director of the First Amendment Center at Vanderbilt University. Gene, you were you were just talking about kind of taking this back to uh, older technology, and, and, and you've made the point several times that that the technology uh, at play here, uh, to some extent, distinguishes uh, the circumstances of this case, or make make them maybe harder to harder to pin down. I, you know, I mean, would would we even be debating this if if uh, Bart had uh, done something like say we're going to we're going to ban all political t-shirts on the subway because they might uh, incite uh, people to uh, get excited and start a fight or something like that. I mean is, is there any question uh if they were to uh to try and limit free expression in some sort of more classical way that that this would be overstepping? I think you might have brought me out of my chair even quicker with that one, Bob. Um, <laughs> uh you know, I actually there I think there's a 1967 decision. I don't have a site, but uh, California Supreme Court decision declaring that um, the transportation authorities could not shut down that exact kind of political speech on a train platform uh, generically. And again, I, I think that's an overbroad. You know, the the uh, we protect, of course, political speech more than any other kind of speech in this country. And and I would be very disturbed if Bart or any other agency were to come up with uh, something that would totally ban uh, the, these kinds of political discussions or protests, as they may be. From uh, from any venue, and and uh, although Marvin raises a good point about forum, the definition of the forum, but uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm uncomfortable with free speech zones outside of conventions. Uh, and and, uh, and and uh, you're not going to get much debate between Gene and I on a lot of these <laughs> issues. But right. let me let me draw another historical parallel though, because when I think about a lot of the classic cases involving freedom of speech, um, you know, I think it's some cases in the '40s, some cases in the '60s. Uh, and a lot of them seem to be against the backdrop of you know, the, the case in the 40s, like the, the flag, um, the, the Pledge of Allegiance case, against the backdrop of Nazi Germany and totalitarianism in Europe, and the, the case in the 60s against the backdrop of us fighting communism around the world. And there's a sort of feeling that we're better than, and when it comes to freedom of speech, we're better than those countries. We're, we're, um, we're sort of, we sort of set the bar around the world on, on free speech. And on democracy, and you know we're the world's oldest democracy, and free speech is you know central to how we function democratically. And one of the thing, one of the reasons why what Bart did has has resulted in such criticism is because it could be an example around the world, right? It's when we're watching how China responds to new technologies, how Iran is responding to new technologies, Egypt, other countries, and now there's this debate in England, and we, the United States. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a pillar of our foreign policy now, according to Secretary Clinton, uh, who's been who's an excellent on uh, an open Internet agenda around the world. Right? It's a pillar of our foreign policy that we believe in you know, tools that connect people and that promote freedom of speech uh, elsewhere, and we really need to live up to that here. And I think that um, we've seen that historically as well, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why 
uh, the international comparison is one of the reasons why the, the cell phone example uh, hit people so hard, even beyond the, you know, a T-shirt example now. It really got people uh, emotional. Well, uh, I, I want to be mindful of the time because I know that uh, both of you have have other time commitments today, uh, and I did also want to give you an opportunity to to uh, uh, offer offer your final thoughts. Uh, and Jean, I, I know you're uh, on some time constraints, so uh, perhaps I, I could start with you and kind of get your final thoughts. And I, I'd also ask you to let our listeners know how they can how they can follow up with you or get more information about the work that you do uh, at the First Amendment Center. Well, thank you for for having me on and a chance to be uh, in conversation with Marvin. It's always I always learn something from Marvin, and uh, and I I think that what again may be the legacy of this more than the particulars of the law is the fact that it gives us a chance for the first time in the United States to really talk about a real example in which this new technology, this new method by which uh, we are we are assembling and petitioning the government for redress of grievances and speaking out, uh, really gives us a chance to debate that in in a relatively limited harm uh, kind of area. And uh, uh, our website at the First Amendment Center is uh, www.firstamendmentcenter.org. And we'd invite people to uh, to come and comment on the material we have on that site. Again, thank you very much for having me on. Well, thanks a lot for being with us today. We really appreciate it. And, I, uh, and, uh, and Marvin, I, I wanted to get to your final thoughts. I wonder if I could ask you one more quick question before I do that. I, I, I know that you've... Sure. Uh, have experience in FCC law as well, and I, I know I've, I've read that the FCC is is going to be looking into this. I, I wonder if there's a, a nutshell version that you can offer of, of what the FCC issues are here. So the FCC issue is that the Federal Communications Commission has jurisdiction over uh, the commercial spectrum use in this country, everything from you know Wi-Fi to broadcast TV to cell phone use, and uh, and the the issue here is. The FCC, in their jurisdiction, also has concerns over public safety, 911, uh, those kinds of issues. And so there's a provision of the FCC's laws that forbid people from, you know, tampering with private cell phone service, with public safety networks, etc. And so what happened in the BART is that in the perhaps overbroad closing down of these of, of these networks. People weren't able to like dial 911 from their cell phone. They weren't able to to make calls, and their, and their service was interrupted. And so the FCC is looking into that matter uh, based on complaints from the ACLU and others. Yeah, it's it seems like a serious concern to me, especially I I, I can speak from personal experience in that I have a, a son who lives in San Francisco and has health problems, and I'd hate to imagine him trapped on a train without his cell phone. But uh, yeah. well. Uh, uh, Marvin, uh, let's let's get your final thoughts, and also again, I invite you to let our listeners know how they can how they can follow up with you. So, and I echo everything Jean said. Uh, I think that this uh, this is a really important example that gets a lot of people thinking about how to apply the First Amendment and how to even think about freedom of speech uh, in the new technological era in the 21st century. And there are so many different things that we do through technology now, just it's sort of a basic part of our life. You know, public safety depends on it, association, assembly, uh, the way we communicate with our family and friends. And these issues are core to the kind of democracy we'll have and core to the kind of liberty that we'll experience going forward and that our, that our children will experience. And it's today and tomorrow, not several years from now, but you know, now that we're deciding some of the foundational questions, that will probably structure the law going forward. So to the extent that people want to be involved or sort of follow the issue... But this is sort of the most important time to do it because 
years from now, a lot of the issues will be settled. This is when it's sort of most exciting and formative. And so my, that's, that's my final word is the, the, the time is exciting now. Uh, and the way to get real, the way to follow what I write, I've written several blog posts about this, one on balkanization and several on my own personal blog, which is amori.org, A-M-M-O-R-I period O-R-G. Uh, and I also, uh, anyone can email me at Marvin underscore Amori, A-M-M-O-R-I, at gmail.com. And I often, you know, advise companies and lawyers and consumer groups on issues like this. Well, thank you very much uh, again to both of you for taking the time to be with us and share your thoughts on this issue. We really appreciate it. Thank uh, you, Rob. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to uh, remind our listeners uh, that uh, all of our past programs and this one are at the LegalTalkNetwork.com and in the uh, podcast library in iTunes. And also that uh, you can actually get CLE credit for listening to our show. Go to uh, Legal Talk Network, find the West Legal Ed Center icon there, uh, and follow that to the West Legal Ed Center for uh, to find out about getting CLE credit. That's it for this week's show. We will be back next week with another great legal topic, and uh, we hope with Craig Williams joining us as well. So we'll see you all next week. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.